0: Spring of 1992, The Cure released Wish. At the peak of their popular and commercial success in early 1982, the landscape had not completely changed, and so the Cure were able to enjoy their first really worldwide level of expectation for a new release. Up to this point, despite the massive success of their signature LP, Disintegration, the Cure were not being looked to by the record industry to move the market. To this point, the Cure's success was stupefying to the music industry because Robert Smith had been writing his own tickets since he was 16 years old. He did whatever he wanted because he had a great middleman and Chris Perry defending him, keeping the record company off his back. After the growing commercial potential shown in the number 99 position in the States for In Between Days and Just Like Heaven goes to number 40, every album, there's another hit that's just a little bit bigger that breaks them out of the college rock ghetto in, the, in America. Hi, this is Dave Kendall welcoming you to a very special international edition of 120 Minutes on MTV. It's two hours of pure, pure videos hosted by the one and only Robert Smith himself. It's not an exaggeration to say that Disintegration was viewed within the record label as complete commercial suicide. Multiple songs over seven minutes long, just unbelievably indulgent music that made no sense to anyone if you look at what was going on in 1989. If you watch the film made during the Wish Tour show, there's an introductory segment where they play this little instrumental piece called Tate, and it shows a whole bunch of kids coming to the show, and a lot of them are dressed extremely normal because while they love this music, they can't dress like The Cure for fear of their parents or other kids at school. If you were gonna dress like The Cure, there were social stakes to that. And so for that reason, you know, they were very much distant in most respects for most of the people that listened to them. Love Song almost went to number one. Love Song was kept from number one one by Janet Jackson I tell your mama. Almost nobody was helping The Cure. It's not like the system was rigged in The Cure's favor. Radio didn't want to play them, stores didn't care about stocking them. There was no anticipation that disintegration was going to change the landscape of popular music, but it did. But it really took until Love Song took off on the radio in the United States. And kids were calling FM Radio and requesting it for their girlfriends. It became truly an international, massive love song in a puppy love kind of way. And so The Cure occupied this space outside of popularity and social bonding that was personal but also romantic and there weren't a lot of bands servicing that little space. The Cure is one of the only bands that's just living in that space. The melody. Drama is there. The anger and frustration and jealousy is there. The passion is there. The longing is there. So many of these emotions are just not serviced in pop music. Pop music is EMF. You're unbelievable. And listen, I love that song. I still love that song. But that's a song that maybe gets you through the insecurity and kicks your ass and makes you actually get up and dance at a school dance. EMF. That's the middle. That's where things can blow up at that level and be celebrated by kids fearlessly. You could not fearlessly celebrate the cure. By 1992, with the success of Love Song and Disintegration, you could. for me this is the only cure album i anticipated i got to the cure right when disintegration was coming out when i was like 13 so i had this huge back catalog to obsess over and tear through i was in a cure cover band for almost a year this group of friends and i we just lived and died by this band i mean we had like all the cure shirts you name it we had it all the cure was in so many ways my identity for a year or two as a teenager i could not have been more ecstatic that this new album was coming out and the advanced single was great and it sounded like the cure and it's sounded fresh i loved wish when it came out i played it front to back every day but i did know you know and i felt even then that some of it wasn't really up to snuff and that this was no disintegration and if that's all that wish really has to bear in terms of a knock on it is that it's not disintegration That's a pretty fucking good album. Certainly in retrospect, uh, for me, Wish has really faded. The Disintegration tour had gone on for so long. If you think about writing, recording, touring Disintegration, that was a three-year album. You know, you're going from 88 to almost 91, still releasing singles, special editions. As The Cure always does, there's a manic bipolar overreaction to the fact that Disintegration was so monolithic. So The Cure does a hard rock song with Never Enough, a nice Hendrix tribute... (laughs) was a B-side Harold and Joe, which is a really nice nod to the ecstasy and acid house culture, also baggy. That was so dominant at the time. But Never Enough and Mixed Up and all the big festivals that they were playing in 91, that's a continuity from Disintegration. You're in that sort of floral shirt period with Smith, and they do the Close to Me remix. Now, while Mixed Up was a disastrous idea conceptually, they didn't know hip enough people. They thought they did. They didn't. The Cure knew XFM people. These are not like hardcore white label. Like, they didn't know Aphex Twin. Let's put it that way. (laughs) r&s guys in belgium remixing their shit they have like super obvious producers who they're asking to make hip electronic remixes of their stuff and it's fucking terrible But this period is really important to Wish because it bridges disintegration and Wish. They were able to do something that they failed to do after Wish, which was get a couple of singles out and keep your profile up even though you're not ready to write an album. Never Enough did really well because Disintegration was still hot in America when it came out. The Close to Me remix was the best of anything they had for Mixed Up and it absolutely worked in America. Did it go to number two? No, but the video was a huge hit because The Cure have always been an MTV staple. The Cure defines 120 minutes and they had broken free of the sort of ghettoization of being on 120 minutes and Kevin Seal and Dave Kendall kind of fencing good music to kids. The Cure were a daytime MTV artist after Love Song if I had your face Lots and lots of kids had bought Mixed Up, which, you know, look, there's recycling on Mixed Up. The Fascination Street remix on it is the same one from the single. You know, the Why Can't I Be You is the old 12-inch. Mixed Up was kind of cynical in that way. So the first taste of Wish is the high single, which in a very literal sense shows that the band were truly on top of the world. If you see the video, Robert Smith is nailed to a kite and the band are sitting in some kind of bauble in this extremely trendy, blown out, chemical processed film technique of the time. It was painful wasn't really nerve wracking. It didn't turn out very well, that video. It's about one of the worst ones we've made with Tim, I think. With the high video, we kind of diverged at some point. he like lost the thread, I think, a bit of what we wanted to do. But yeah, all the things like that, like struck me to the kite and chucking us in what was always his idea. He thinks it's funny. I think the fun, funny side of it's run out, to be honest. So- High was great. High is like a it's like a sister song with New Order's Regret. They were both around at the same time. They both sort of sound the same in so many ways in terms of the drum patterns. These were legacy, you know, major English bands of the eighties reacting to what was going on in the nineties, both in a very sharp way. High comes out as often did in those times in two versions. There's a slipcase version that has a teaser from Wish, which is the song Open, and then there's the extended play Digipack. This was crucial and for a fan, unfortunately the High single was a bit of a false promise. Any really, like, mental cure nut at this time had been left with this teaser at the end of a video cassette they released called Picture Show. Picture Show is the sequel to Staring at the Sea, their original VHS video compilation that goes up through Head on the Door. Picture Show takes you from Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me through Disintegration. And at the end of this VHS tape, over the credits, is this really beautiful instrumental called The Big Hand. So when the high CD5 comes out, the B-sides are unbelievably strong and of that character. This Twilight Garden also the fact that the high single mix is really nicely tarted up with sequencers and keyboard flourishes but the album version when you finally get wish is pretty awful it's just like everything on wish there's a there's a pervasive problem which is the production wish is way too dry it's painfully dry and one of the reasons for this is the cure we're reacting to a new genre new trend shoegaze In interviews around this time when Smith is already starting to look back on Disintegration and begin marketing or talking about the next record, he addresses the success and preeminence of Shoegaze and his part in having created it. Smith's outsized fame as a pinup, he lent that to Cocteau Twins, Echo and the Bunnymen, and all the bands he came up with. He was always championing them. He even championed for Dinosaur Jr., you know, in between Disintegration and Wish. So Robert Smith has just turned 30. He's feeling still present tense and still inspired to write things, but he's becoming an elder state and he knows it. And Wish is the first album where you hear it. He becomes his own character in a number of songs on Wish. This had never happened before. But because Shuge's owed so much to The Cure, and because Shuge certainly didn't displace The Cure, I mean, you can put Ride's Nowhere on and follow it with Wish, and you're right in the same wheelhouse. And this is also when Ride's second full-length album, Going Blank Again, comes out. Fantastic record, and massively, if you were a kid at that time, a sister record to The Cure's Wish. Nirvana blew up in the summer and fall of 91 with Smells Like Teen Spirit. But they weren't like the fabric of American society until right around the time when Wish comes out, early 92. As far as Britpop goes, the fuse has maybe been lit But it's not even close. You haven't got Definitely Maybe yet. You don't have Park Life. The Cure avoid all this. Wish comes out at exactly the right time. The trajectory and historical referendum on this band, if they hadn't gotten this out when they did and it came out in 93 when Oasis were around, this would have felt in many ways what Wild mood Swings felt like on Arrival. It would have fallen so flat if it was going up against Britpop. You know, I talked before about the importance of Never Enough and the Mixed Up album and Close to Me. Having those press cycles, getting the radio play, keeping the band's name out there with legitimate good songs that don't require the entire album process, an important marketing decision that clearly Perry was driving. Robert was exhausted from the prayer tour. He was exhausted from the emotional toll of writing and recording disintegration. He had been all but forced by his bandmates to kick his best friend out of his band. Will Tolhurst and Robert Smith essentially founded The Cure, and for a number of years, the two of them were The Cure. But due to his progressing and downward trajectory with alcoholism, the band basically said, We're not doing anything else with you as The Cure if Lowell is going to be involved. With him out of the picture, Robert reaches out to Perry Beaumont, who had been a trusted roadie and had really come to the fore during this window between disintegration and Wish when there's a ton of extracurricular activity. The Cure do MTV's Unplugged, which was a resounding success. It's cherished by fans, but it's never been officially released. The Unplugged performance and all the concerts they were doing to rush Perry Beaumont in as a second guitarist, that really changed the flavor of the band for Wish. And you see that happening on a film called Play Out. Play Out was released after Picture Show, and it's a fly on the wall kind of thing. It shows The Cure playing on the Jonathan Ross show. It shows some backstage stuff from MTV Unplugged. They're including early incarnations of songs that end up on Wish. Letter to Elise, Wendy Time. There was a huge bootleg at that time from the Town and Country Club of a show in 91 that, like, everyone had, and it has the perfect version, honestly, of Letter to Elise on it. I wish it sounded like that, and not like what it sounds like on Wish. Many years ago, I think in 2011. It's almost 10 years ago. Holy shit! I did a remix of "Wish" and a, and a resequencing of "Wish," and I included, I think, the MTV Unplugged version, maybe, of "Of a Letter to Elise" on it, which is also better than what ended up on the album. You can still find that if you go to srmixes.blogspot.com. <laughs> Unbelievably, this still is live. I tweaked Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and Wish, both the sound and running order, because I always was so annoyed with how those records sounded. This is The Cure's biggest album, but the production is awful. What happened? They broke with Dave Allen. Inasmuch as Robert Smith does what he does and his music sounds like The Cure, Dave Allen had made all of The Cure's commercially successful music. He was the engineer producer on all of it. At one point, some years ago, Roger O'Donnell, The Cure's on off keyboardist, published his own diaries from the recording of Disintegration. I don't think Robert Smith was very happy about it because at some point he took them down. I saved them, and I think most Cure fans did, knowing how Robert responds to that kind of thing. But in there, he tells a couple of pretty huge stories about it. And One is he says that Dave Allen was recording individual drum hits. So he basically, even though he has one of the best drummers like ever for mid-tempo rock, he turned Boris Williams' performance into a trigger because he's using a Mac and he's using an early digital audio workstation to actually quantize the music. This is the reason Disintegration really has a kind of almost electronic feel to it in so many respects, or more sequenced feel. The way Dave Allen was producing it, you know, was kind of a safety net. The way he did things made it more controllable, he made it more flexible, and he made it more efficient. But the end result was a little bit too impersonal. As much as the sonic cathedral of Disintegration is timeless and so rewarding for like an audiophile to really crank that up on a good system and just lose yourself in the the depth of stereo space and instrumentation Only a few of the songs really have a lot of swing or flow to them. They wanted that back badly with Wish, and they just didn't feel as they got toward the end of it that the mix was coming through in the kind of more raw, guitar-heavy way that Smith clearly wanted, because he is answering for somewhat his influence on shoegaze. So the album opens with Open, one of Smith's favorite moves. Open is essentially like Shake, Dog, Shake. It's a song of self-recrimination. It's a song of self-loathing. It's obviously written after some long night of doing ecstasy and coke and drinking until five in the morning. You know, there are endless stories of this from, from within the Cure camp and from outside it. I made a throwaway joke earlier about Robert's uh, proximity to Sean Hughes uh, who's unfortunately passed away. Sean Hughes was one of the biggest young hit comics in England at around this time. Uh, and he was a huge Smith's Cure fan very publicly. It was like part of his persona. Wavy, you know, mop-top hair. Smith was going through that all through disintegration even, but his especially during Wish. He is proper fucking famous. He was really caning it bad. I think one of the important themes of Wish is that there's been the break with Lowell Tollhurst. The band felt that was a problem. We've made that change. And Perry's come in, which changes up the dynamics. So what are we now? And I think, unfortunately, the realization for almost everybody else in the band is that Robert was his own set of problems. When I saw The Cure Live in 1992 on the Wish tour, he was not taking care of himself. The band thought they had identified the source of their biggest problem in Lowell being picked on and and not wanting to watch this car crash go on anymore. And they found out that they had been ignoring a whole different car crash that was still happening in front of them. He was insulated from the consequences of a lot of his behavior. But unfortunately, after Wish, it just became clear that it was not going to stop and he wasn't ready to stop. And so the band stopped for him and they walked out. As with Disintegration, you got multiple songs over six minutes, which is just absolutely bizarre that this could be normal. The Cure are one of the only bands that are able to write five and a half minute mid-tempo guitar pop songs. But that's part of what The Cure is, It's part of why their fandom is so rabid. The sort of living in the song aspect of this, it's true of The Cure going back to Faith. You know, the six minute meditation on some riff with a standard 4-4 beat under it. This is something The Cure has always done and somehow always been able to do. It's not often recognized what a signature piece of The Cure this is. Six-minute dirges are not common. The fact that The Cure are able to do that does not necessarily mean they should. There are a few songs on this that are sort of torturously overlong. Number one would be Apart at almost seven minutes. You know, these are songs that sort of tip from being classically Cure songs to being sort of performative Cure songs they're too cinematic is the word I would use. I feel like I'm watching a Cure song. It doesn't feel like a place I'm living in. When I talked earlier about the sort of tease of this Twilight Garden and of play conforming to this sound that everyone was anticipating because of the big hand, because of all the live performances in the window between Disintegration and Wish, there was a great deal of sonic and thematic expectation. People were expecting Wish to sound very psychedelic. Lots of bells, lots of twinkling, all those sort of things in high and in those b-sides there was a sound and a vibe that was being extensively advertised ahead of wish and for a lot of fans especially for me it very much fell flat it's the sort of central part of the record where all of a sudden wendy time has become this kind of go mad horns stomp and doing the unstuck has become almost self-parodic in the way that it almost has a swear in it. Like it's very obviously supposed to have a swear in it. The cure has become its own context, its own subject by this point. And when I think about wish in those terms, that's when it makes complete sense to me that Boris and Porl and others could see at this point, we're getting close to rolling out the barrel and I'm kind of done. The worst song in this album for me is Trust by far. It is just so facile. I have never liked it. When it came out, I just thought, oh, it's called Trust. It's all about trust. Trust is in the chorus. This song is beneath Robert Smith. And it infuriated me on hearing it that he would put out something this fatuous. When I- A part is great It's too long But it's gorgeous And it is somewhat in line With the sound That as I mentioned Fans were anticipating Wish would carry After the album cycle For Wish had wound down The Cure released A limited edition cassette Which is pretty infamous Among fans Called Lost Wishes And those four songs Are very much Of the kind of sound That everyone had hoped Wish would carry And that really only Comes through on high A part And to wish impossible things The band clearly Took a turn At some point In the writing And moved away from Their traditional kind of gothic sound either because of the pressures of shoegaze smith feeling it was regressive i would say there's an argument to be made that a lot of this music that didn't end up on wish has more in common with kiss me kiss me kiss me Me, and maybe too much Uh, maybe smith felt that it was getting a little bit too gothic too identifiably cure and he wanted to get more of that guitar up front i mean the clear examples of that are cut and end end is Saturn devouring his son, the Goya painting. It is literally Smith just laying waste to his position, the expectations placed upon him, the notion of pop stardom. When I talked about pornography, that album is really all about this. It's all about raging against other people's expectations, other people's misinterpretations, and how the process and the fact of being a celebrity can like fuck with you and fuck with your personal life and fuck with your emotional core. It's almost like a desperate plea in so many ways to the idea that just think of me as someone who writes music and writes really great music and unique music. And there haven't been a lot of people like me. And you're right to, you know, feel an allegiance to me because I do understand you. I do remember what it was like being a teenager. And that's what I'm trying to communicate. And all this other stuff is bullshit. And I'm sorry that it happened and I'm not selling out and I didn't betray you and the cure is still the cure and I'm not losing control, but he was." The most important part possibly of End is that it's the first and only time Boris Williams goes fucking off if you didn't know how good a drummer he was you know it's one thing to get up there and just slam Disintegration for 8 minutes straight at like almost twice the speed because the band were definitely keyed up and uh, and Disintegration would be like 30% faster than the album on a BPM basis. This is a virtuoso moment for Boris Williams. He really gets to strut his stuff and be creative and react within the song measure by measure to the evolution and swirling cacophony of this, um, this just brilliant and dirge it's i mean if you think about the the horrible last track on kiss me kiss me kiss me fight you know end is like that done right a lot of shoogies did have to do with that it had to do with everyone jamming in a way i mean it was very much four four music but the drums were usually unrestrained because otherwise if it was just a pattern you're the stone roses you're doing fool's gold you're doing dance pop you're doing there's no other way so hyperactive drum patterns, whether it's fluid in a live player or it's sequenced, are a big part of shoegaze. And Smith clocks that, and he really one-ups it here, by unleashing Boris Williams. For fans, there's no question the centerpiece of the album is the centerpiece of the album from the edge of the deep green sea. You knew from the title this was going to be the one. It's very obvious, you know, and it's seven and a half minutes long. Like You could not have a more overt advertisement of like, we got you guys. From the Edge of the Deep Green Sea is a Cure fans, Cure song. You couldn't wait for the tour. Like, holy shit, this is gonna be so fucking good live. I skipped school. I had a buddy pick me up. I went and hid in the woods, and we skipped school to get tickets for both dates of this. The Wish Tour was excellent in the sense that the shows were very strong, but the band was really coming apart at the seams almost immediately. The album feels a bit disconnected. You know, it feels like chunks of inspiration. It doesn't feel like a whole. To Wish Impossible Things is this very small, somnolent, tiny little song. This this almost kind of experiment that somehow holds together for four and a half minutes. But it's like something that you would work up to explain to a producer or to the rest of the band. These are the sort of notes. These are the shapes and colors of of what we'll expand on. And this is what we'll paint this canvas with. It really feels isolated and not part of Wish for that. Cut too. this is Shiver and All over again. This is the cure of being angry and raging. This is how angry we can be. It's like a demonstration of a mode in so many ways. I mean, I know this sounds really cynical and negative. I love Cut. It's a great song. The production's amazing. Boris is on fucking fire throughout the whole song. And Smith's singing is totally committed. He's fucking wailing on this thing. It's a great song. Do not get me wrong. Does it need to be six minutes long? One, no. And two, have they already kind of been through this? Yeah, a number of times. Does it add anything to Shiver and Shake? Does it add? Add anything to Disintegration, the title track. Does it go anywhere that we haven't been before? A little, but not far. For somebody who didn't even know the cure and had never heard them, this album comes through much better than it did for fans. Much as we knew from the title from The Edge of the Deep Green Sea that we were going to find our one treasure at least, we also knew Friday I'm in Love was going to be the hit single. Because... Robert Smith writes hit singles. It comes with the territory. He wrote The Love Cats. He wrote Caterpillar. He wrote, you know, In Between Days, Close to Me, Just Like Heaven, Hot, Hot, Hot. We love the fact that Smith is so diverse in his dalliances. We love that he's a dilettante. We love that he'll do like JB and the All-Stars funk band or his version of it. And that's part of the kaleidoscopic beauty that makes The Cure so enduring and so lovable. And Friday, I Am In Love is perfect. There's nothing that sells the cure out or that makes it seem like they're past their sell-by date. The wordplay, the silliness, the simpleness, the brightness of the chords and of that simple little D chord riff that he was actually freaking out about. He was calling everyone he knew, like, did I, is this real? Did I make this riff up? This comes from something else, right? Like, you're going to go back and scour Wonderwall music. You're going to go listen to Beatles records. Maybe the Who. did someone has to have done this. Like, this is so foundational. This is learn to play guitar shit it's literally a d chord plucked up and down and smith came up with it you know whatever it is i'm sure these notes have been played somewhere else in the past by someone else but the presentation the clarity and how out front that main lick was that's all robert smith he architected a perfect brown-eyed girl pop song three and a half minutes in 1992 that was completely eternal and didn't pull much of anything from the past it was a cure song Friday, I'm in Love, you still hear it all the time. It's not just the surefire radio aspect of playing it on a day of the week, which was so brutal to have to consider, but is unfortunately part of the history of a song with a day of the week in the title. But it's a song that everybody loves. Ageless, timeless, all of it. Kids love it, parents love it, grandparents love it. it's just, it's a completely perfect ditty. And The Cure have always done ditties, and it was good to see them doing ditties again. They hadn't lost that. They were still able to do that. And they only did it once, which is great. Because if there had been a Tuesday I'm in Love and a Sunday I'm in Love, I don't think I'd have much patience for this record. (laughs) There were some really strong B-sides. B-sides that fans love way beyond most of this record. You know, the Friday I'm in mean, Love single had Halo and Scared as You, which were both excellent. I mean, Scared as You doesn't have a lot to it, maybe. Halo is much more in keeping with, you know, Twilight Garden, the Cloudberry stuff they were doing. By the time you get to a letter to Elise, something else is revealed, which is that they did record The Big Hand, the song we had been playing over and over again from the end of the VHS tape for Picture Show. The song that was so gorgeous and so epic evolutionary from disintegration and so exactly what we were all screaming for and they fucking ruined it the lyrics are atrocious it falls so flat and it just kind of puts a pin on how the cure in so many ways sort of got it wrong wish is a second guest album for all that ramp period between 1990 and 1991 all those live shows stuff getting out stuff leaking out for all that time, probably a full 18 months, there was a very predictable way The Cure were going to evolve out of disintegration into something that had aspects of disintegration, but also the more playful aspects of kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. And as they got closer and closer to making that real, Smith clearly changed his mind. For all the time they spent bringing it to life, Smith turned on his heels too late. How did we get?